Welcome to the Productivity Show by Asian Efficiency, helping you do more and be better. And now here's your host, Zachary Sexton. Welcome to the Productivity Show. My name is Zachary Sexton, and today I have with me Andrew Sinkoff. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Well, no, I should say thanks for having me. We are in the this cocooned room in Silicon Valley in Evernote headquarters, and, and you, you had invited my girlfriend and I here, and we're, yeah. uh, we just got to check out the grounds, and very impressive. There are a lot of little productivity hack things that I've noticed uh, around standing desks and walking desks, yeah. dry erase boards where you can just brainstorm on at a moment's notice. So, lovely place. Thanks for you had mentioned us. the on-air sign outside of this room. I don't know if you even saw that. So oh. we're, we are... We are we are on air right now outside of this room. Oh my goodness! Yeah, this everybody is, knows. This is the most padding I have I've seen in a while. We are in a padded room. <laughs> most padded. <laughs> in case any of us go crazy. Yeah. So, Andrew, you are uh, one of the co-founders and the VP of marketing at, at Evernote. I understand in a few days, July fourth, it's going to be your eight-year anniversary with the company, and it's. Evernote just had its seven-year public anniversary. So, how does it feel to be with this uh, with this place for so long? It's uh, it's totally crazy. Uh, I remember so eight years ago, a bunch of us came together in a uh, a tiny like business center as part of at some at some uh, uh, corporate apartment type of place to just just talk about what we wanted to do uh, and what we wanted to do was to build. Uh, a service that was going to just help people deal with a lot of information. We saw that as as the coming uh, just pain point that everybody was going to have, that you're going to have to deal with a ton of stuff. How are you going to deal with it? We didn't really know because at the time, you had smartphones just sort of just starting really. You didn't have iPhones yet uh, or you didn't have apps on iPhones. And we knew that this was going to be a thing. And so we tr- started planning out how that was going to be, what that was going to look like. And over several months, we ended up with Evernote. And so about seven years ago, we launched into public beta. But eight years ago is when a number of us joined the company. Wow. How many was on that original founding team? I think there were maybe about 15 people. So it was relatively small. Now we're about 400. Uh, so a lot bigger now. I remember we were working out of what, it, in my memory, is like a dirty dentist's office. Uh, <laughs> and now, as you can see, we're in a, a nice, nice building here in Redwood City. Yeah. Uh, and just to get some numbers out of the way, too, I, 100 million users. Uh, over 100 million users. Interesting that so many are international, over 70% international. Why do you think that is? I think it really depends on which which country, and every country is different. One of the Very early on, we sort of noticed that we were really popular in Japan. We didn't know why. We didn't know what it was about uh, about Evernote. Uh, we just started seeing this huge influx of Japanese users into the product. At the time, we weren't even localized. So it was just in English, and yet they were still using it in Japan. And so we went over there, and we tried to figure out what it was. And it turns out that the ideas behind Evernote, the sort of this place to keep your, your uh, important information, to store things, to make it really accessible to you, was very sort of culturally significant to the Japanese folks that were using Evernote in the sense that journaling, keeping keeping sort of uh, a very organized structure around past experience and holding on to that and being able to reference that is actually a really important part of the culture there. And Evernote was the go-to for them. Uh, kind of surprised us. But it turns out that the problems that we're solving are actually universal problems. They're not Silicon Valley problems. They're not American problems. They're, they're problems that everybody needs to deal with, which is how do you 
deal with a lot of information. How do you how do you get your stuff from one device to another really easily? How do you take notes and, and capture photos when you're out and about? How do you make sense of that when you're at your computer? All that kind of stuff affects really everybody these days. Over the years, how have you been seeing people use it the most? And maybe we can backtrack, too, for... I don't think there's many people listening that don't know what Evernote is, but if you have a, a five-second VP of marketing spiel of what is Evernote and why it's useful. Uh, but then I'd like to know how people have been using Evernote to take all that information in and distill it in a form that's useful to them, that they could take from their phone to their computer to their uh, to their uh, whatever it is, leave it on the cloud so it's not... It's backed up at least somewhere. So Evernote is a place for you to write, collect, uh, share information with with anybody that's that's important to you. So it's essentially a, a workspace. It's kind of like the modern version of Office. That's what Evernote is, but the way that people use it is incredibly diverse. So we create a space. We create a, a framework essentially for people to do kind of whatever they need to do inside of. So for me personally, tons of writing. So Evernote is a place where I do all of my uh, writing, all of you know, creating ideas, thinking through products and projects and whatever it may be. That all happens in Evernote. Research, all that stuff is there. But what we see is that there's not really a – there's not a single use case for Evernote. And that's one of the things that I think makes it so interesting and so powerful is that people come into Evernote because frequently their friends said, hey, there's a really cool thing. you got to use it. Like I see that you've got a problem with blah. I've already solved that problem through Evernote, whether that be task management or recipe collection or whatever it is. It's usually something relatively small. And what happens over time is that Evernote effectively solves that problem for the person. And then it becomes this kind of crazy layer cake of uses that you started really small and then you all of a sudden wake up one morning and you, and you realize that you're like your whole company is running on Evernote. And you look back and you're like, how the heck did this happen? And it was because all throughout your, your use of the product, you're sort of like, well, why don't I try this? Let's see if Evernote can help me do this thing as well. And then you're like, oh, yeah, okay, it does that. And so there's this kind of really exciting DIY sort of aspect to Evernote where everybody kind of makes it their own. They get really excited about it. But at its core is it's a place where you work. You write stuff, you collect information, you do your research there, and you share it with others. Great. I like it. I've heard about those use cases for businesses keeping a lot of their standard operating procedures and written manuals on Evernote. In fact, I was working with somebody recently who was keeping them all on there. Where do you guys keep all of your uh, documentation? Well, so we do – I mean, we put we put so much into Evernote. Um, we've got – I mean, it's, it's like it's kind of crazy because you've got every department uses Evernote. We're all crazy Evernote users. But we also use other stuff. We, we, we don't – we're not we, – we see Evernote as sort of the, the central place where we – we do our writing and we do uh, our research and we keep things that are really great uh, in those forms, meaning that like if something needs to be a PDF or something needs to be stored in some sort of a file system, sometimes we'll use Dropbox for that stuff. But whenever we want to have context around this idea, so let's say we're working on a new, a new app or we're working on a new feature for Evernote, what we do all the time, our design team does this, I think this is really great, they'll have a, um, a design mock-up of the screen inside of Evernote for iOS or something like that that's coming soon. And right next to it, so they'll make a table and they'll have the, the screenshot. And right next to it, in text, they'll have uh, the description of what this, the objectives of the screenshot are, the copy that they'd like to be in that uh, on that screen of the app in the UI. 
And then they invite others from the team to sort of look at that image and give comment on what, what they like, what they don't like. And it all happens in one place, meaning that instead of having kind of an image as an individual file and then a separate document or email where you're where you have the conversation you literally have the image and the conversation happening right next to one another so you can always be referencing the two uh, we do that all the time we did that for major redesigns we we love doing that and it's really good cross-functionally too so we've got the design team working with the marketing team working with the support team um, that's just one example. We do all of our like HR documentation inside of Evernote. We do uh, new new employee onboarding in Evernote. I mean, literally, like every every business process has a home inside of Evernote for us, and sometimes in other secondary apps, sort of help out. Yeah, and I just found that feature of making comments on mm-hmm. on, on certain notes, and that's great. Anything to get you. Out of your email. Is oh, better. totally. Oh, Those email God. chains like, oh, what did yeah. you think of this? Oh, you missed that. Oh, no. <sighs> Email's crazy. One of my favorite use cases for Evernote, um, this, this is like from day one, has been people would say like, I used to email myself and I stopped emailing myself. Ah, uh, yeah. And... So I never, I've never emailed myself anything for the, for, for this purpose. Like I've never, I've never done that. So when, when people would say like, I email myself all the time, like, why are you like your past self communicating to your future self <laughs> yep. somehow? Like, like that's what email is for. It's a communication platform, but it sucks in like a hundred different ways for this specific thing. Uh-huh. But there was nothing else. Like this was the way it had to be done, and I totally understand that. And Evernote like completely replaces that. And so I'm really proud to say that like we've eliminated one stupid use of email. And we've we've eliminated many others, but like that specific one, I'm just yeah. like, yes, we did it. Gmail now, I occasionally do that, not very often, but occasionally will will do that to myself for some reason. And if you email yourself, it now indicates it says note to self. So they knew people good, were doing good, that. Good, good, good. So at least it's a little better. But really, no, good. you should put it in some sort of yeah, you should trusted system yeah. that can be edited and updated and is not lost in some exactly mess of five thousand other messages. Right. So uh, before coming on, you I, I heard that you had just from working with this productivity tool for so long and um, working in Silicon Valley where it's kind of the – if you can become more productive, you'll find that way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on the, the future of, of work and, um, and productivity? Well, so I think that there's this like major – shift that's happening right now and i think it's happening we have to we have to kind of be a little bit reflective about how we've been using tools over the past 30 years and then once we realize what's wrong with them then it's going to make it really easy for us to say like i don't want to do that stuff anymore because that's old so one of the things that that uh is sort of crazy when you think about it so like in 1983 office launched just let that let that settle in i Um, was not born so (laughs) In 1983, Office launched, and the reason that Office is the way it is, the way the reason that Word is the way it is, the way that the PowerPoint is the way it is, is because what was happening then? Basically, you were having this this transition that was going on from from uh, paper to computing, and. How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to do that in ways that feel comfortable, right? So you, you, want to, you want to make interfaces that allow people to sort of feel really comfortable going from the thing that they've always done to this really new way of doing it. And, well, how do you do that? You do that with WYSIWYG. You do that with, like, it's just a, you see on your screen, you see a piece of paper. What's happened since then? So nothing's changed in, in those apps. Like, it is still like it was then. A, a piece of paper on a with like a drop shadow on a like a darker background. The thing that's actually changed is that like we don't print 
anymore. We send stuff to each other. And so the problem with all those things is that they maintain the same metaphor. They maintain the paper metaphor and they make you think about margins. They make you think about line spacing. That stuff doesn't matter because you're not going to print it unless you're having a garage sale. Like that's the only time you're going to print something really these days is if you have a garage sale. In most other cases, you're going to send an email, you're going to make a blog post, you're going to put on a web page, you're going to – whatever you're going to do, it's unlikely that you're going to hit the print button. When you think about things like PowerPoint, well, like what the hell is a slide? I mean if, if you're if, – if you weren't born in 1983, it's unlikely that you in your life – have interacted with slides, maybe you've seen some transparencies, but like it's all it's all stuff from like a bygone era that we know about through like Mad Men. And that's not how stuff should work. Like we should not hold on to completely archaic frameworks that don't make any sense because that's not how we work today. So the things that we need to do is we need to sort of like look at all of these anytime we see that frame, anytime we see that drop shadow, we should say like that's old. We don't need this. What we care about is the words that we write, the ideas that we have, how are we going to share those most effectively? And that breaks breaks those, those frames. And it says, like, it should just be white space with text on it. My ideas are important, not layout, not formatting. If I need to print something, I should give my words to a designer who's going to do an amazing job of laying that out. That's not on me. My job is to have really good ideas. And so that's, I think, the, the shift that's happening. It's moving away from drop shadows and papers on screens and actually thinking about how am I going to get my work done in the most efficient, effective ways. Nice. And I, I find myself writing for the Asian Efficiency blog and other pieces in Evernote more and more. One of the reasons, and I thought the reason – the main reason was if I want to use images, I can throw them in there and be like, okay, that image is going to be there and then this writing is going to be underneath it. But I think that might be another point to it is that it doesn't have those uh, random, oh, you got an indent here and here's the line spacing and worry about the 40 different kinds of fonts that, that you can have. It's just simple. It's just you just start writing. and Like it felt really good, you know, when, when you were in high school or something like that, like tricking your teacher into thinking that you'd like <laughs> written a longer paper than you actually yeah, did. 1.85 yeah, spacing like that was that lines. like that was like a, an internal victory. But really these days like none of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter how many pages something is. It doesn't matter how how well it's laid out because ultimately you're judged on the quality of your thinking, not the quality of your ability to mess with margins. So, I think that as long as we realize that the, the sort of the, the print button is not the ultimate objective. We should move away from anything that, that looks like paper, feels like paper, and instead think about things in, in, in terms of how is this just getting allowing me to get my work done more effectively. Mm-hmm. And just because you're Evernote and just because you're mainly digital doesn't mean you hate paper. I understand that you've got some paper integrations yeah. even. No, paper is great. I mean, that's, that's, that's also the – so like – you should use paper. In fact, like I see you're using a note- notebook because that's how you want to write. You want to take notes because it's, you know, we have arms and we should use those arms. Those are, the, you know, we should write with, with, with pen on paper. That's all, that's all fantastic. I think that the issue isn't with writing because, in fact, yeah, like you said, Evernote has an integration with Moleskin. You can take pictures of notebooks you, and, and 3M and Post-its. Like you can take pictures of those things. They import really well into Evernote. They're sort of smarter than they were when they were in their physical form. But 
it's the other side of it that's actually the issue. It's the printing that's the problem. It's not the you shouldn't be taking notes on a, in a notebook. If you're comfortable taking notes in a notebook, I find notes in notebooks to be fantastic. In a meeting, it's quieter than you know tapping on keys. If you like that, awesome. That's fantastic. That's that's your workflow. I think we want to be supportive of that. But it's the what happens next. What happens next is you're going to share that with someone. You're going to email it to someone. You're going to build something out of it. Uh, it doesn't have to end with paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think another part with paper, too, is I find sometimes when I'm putting something into a task manager on my phone, I feel like I almost have to explain myself, like, no, I'm not not paying attention. I'm trying to remember this uh, actually a little bit better. So a lot of times, you know, that will be my process from here mm-hmm. to either quick drafts to Evernote to some other form that I could then store and search and reference. Exactly. But paper is just kind of a, a stopping, uh, just one stop along the way of right. ideas to um, to hopefully fruition or action or something something valuable down the line. And since you're using paper, I'm sure that you've you've used our image recognition stuff, like the search that we can do within text mm-hmm. and all of that. Like, we think that's super important. You should be able to take a picture of your handwritten notes and actually find it, which is impossible with paper. So we're yeah. actually like making paper better, uh, allowing you to enjoy the process and this like the tactile nature of writing and sort of all that, and then also get more benefit out of it in the long term. Absolutely, that's how it should be. Yeah, the uh, the OCR and the the handwrite recognition. That's what got me to to be the premium. Oh yeah, Evernote user. I was oh yeah, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta so be good. able to search this stuff. <laughs> what about your thoughts on uh, micro working or working in small amounts of times at various places using various devices? So that's that is the the kind of shifting nature of life. I guess it's not even it's not just work like everything is becoming more bite-sized your your attention is constantly drawn into different directions you're on your phone and you're still continuing to sort of think about that project that you started when you were at the office um, we need to at Evernote but but in general I think this is true of just everything that the the experience needs to become optimized in a way for that small scale of work, for the few minutes of work and not for the hours of work. The assumption that we have is that you're not necessarily going to spend hours upon hours upon hours inside of Evernote in a given sitting. Um, Rather, that you're going to move from, uh, like I, just using my daily life, I commute on a bus or a train, uh, I'm in the office, I'm going from meeting to meeting, I'm then back on on the bus or train then I'm uh, then I'm at home working all of those things are actually end up when you kind of split up your day between meetings and sitting at your desk and going uh, and your commute and whatever else it may be you're always in these like five ten minute chunks of work so that changes how software should be built that changes how we should be interacting with product and that's how we think about Evernote, and that's why we think, you know, sort of, sort of really core things that we put in eight years or seven years ago, like synchronization, is so important because the assumption should be that you're going to want to have the same information everywhere, but that you're always just going to be adding. Like it, it could be – if it's a note, you're just adding to that note, like little by little by little, where you have a finished product a couple days later. But getting there was not sitting down mm-hmm. and saying like – I'm now committing eight hours to like making sure that this thing happens. You're actually going to do it over the, over bite-sized chunks, and you're you're sort of like adding layers of work as you go along to this project, to this project, to this project. At the end of the week, you've just like finished five things, but you didn't do them necessarily in the order that they would have been done 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah, and each area allows a different context and a setting. Maybe at home, you 
generate different types of ideas than at work or sure, uh, while sure. That I think that should be the assumption is that your state of mind is going to be different in every different location. You're you're probably best at doing one type of work maybe between the hours of like 9 and 11, a different type of work later in the day, a totally different type of work when you're like laying in bed. And those are chunks. And I think like the ideas of sort of the separation between work and life, those separations are becoming fuzzy. It doesn't really mean that you're spending less time on, on life than you are on work. It's just that you're kind of – you're as likely to be checking Facebook and booking a flight during work hours, quote unquote, as you would be uh, at home working on something. So it's, it's, it's sort of a blending that's happening that's, that's, that we also have to be accommodating. What state is this room making you feel right now? State of quiet. <laughs> it's the state of quiet. This is also used as our meditation room. Oh, so we got to yeah. get out of here. Meditation's at two thirty, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I've never <laughs> participated in that, but I hear it's. I think it's probably great for it. I I would imagine so. Do they use the gong at all with the meditation? We use the gong, man. If they, if imagine if they use that gong in this room. <laughs> that gong is our is our call to all hands every Thursday. That's the company meeting. Maybe before we uh, we wrap things up, and I've got three final questions yeah. that I don't think I warned you about. Uh, so I'll give you some percolation time for them. Okay. But it's a book, frog, and tool. Oh so God. a book that you would, might recommend to our, our listeners that can help them be more productive or just a book you like, uh, a resource or tool, one of the most common ones. This is episode 50 of The Productivity Show. I think three or four times Evernote's been recommended as the essential tool. So mm-hmm. you guys are in good company. And a frog, which is a major project that you're working on that you need to eat. Uh, so you eat that frog. So that's... Project that I need to eat? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to eat... Why do you eat frogs? Because Who it's, the frogs? Worst, it's the worst thing you're going to do that day. And if you've got to eat a frog, you might as well do it in the morning. And uh. the, your big frogs are the ones... Sometimes you resist them. Sometimes they're... Uh, the, the things that you just know you need to do, but you don't get to often. Um, but sometimes frogs can be a little tastier. Maybe you're French. I don't know. All right. All right. <laughs> but before we answer those three questions, I wanted to ask a little bit about the, the team building here. You guys have grown from a small, tight crew of 14, 15 to over 400, 11 offices, a bunch of different countries where you guys are all located. Mm-hmm. How do you manage to stay productive and on point as such a large team? I think it, I mean, it just comes down to communication. I think you have to, um, you have to be talking to each other frequently and you have to use uh, a bunch of different modes of communication because you have to be doing things face to face. So we use things like Google Hangouts really frequently. Uh, You have to be talking, uh, whether it's, whether it's on an Evernote through work chat or through email, whatever it is, uh, even Slack and other things, you have to, you just have to be always communicating with one another. And I think the thing that we have learned the most is that there's these um, beliefs about sort of fundamental cultural differences that that may not exist. Uh, I think people people believe uh, historically that everybody's really different. And I think the one thing that, that we've learned just through technology and the Internet and everything is that actually there, there's, there are things that make us all the same. And so I, teasing out – where the differences are and where the similarities are is really important because I think frequently uh, we get into modes of of simply saying that, oh, it's just different there. And 
that is actually not a very like inclusive way of thinking about the world because it turns out that actually there's a lot of similarities between people. There's a lot of similarities between cultures. And it's understanding what those similarities are through conversation and then building on top of those similarities with with whatever is like slightly different about the specific culture. We think app, you know, companies like Apple have done a really an amazing job with that where they sort of think, think you know, you're buying an iPhone everywhere. It's the same iPhone. So we're going to market it actually really similarly across the world, but there are like slight little cultural differences that they apply to that. Other cultures or other companies what they'll do is they'll like totally do things differently in every single country. And that's actually much more difficult to manage. And that makes every team feel like they're disconnected, not not part of a single company. It's like every, like little companies in every different region. So we think of ourselves as one sort of unified company where every team is sort of under the same umbrella of trying to achieve a single goal with Evernote. That's great. So yeah, all hands on decks meetings, lots of lots of tiny, small communication. Yeah. Less email than, than, but I'm sure that's a part of it, Dropbox, all, the, all those forms that yeah. are things that you guys use. Well, that's great. All right. Not a lot tell of time. Me again, tell me again what the questions are. Book, frog, and tool. Okay. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, so a book, this is a book that I, that I like, right? That's what you're asking about? That, li- that you like or maybe can help other people become more productive since it is the productivity show. <laughs> so, well, okay. I mean, I the a book that I that I personally like. I mean, this is for me because one thing that I I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm a writer. I write a ton um, and I've been reading this book that I just think is fascinating. I don't know if it's a productivity related thing. It's called Shady Characters. Um, it's it's a book that uh, it talks about the the history of Characters and language that have gone away that aren't used anymore, um, that were introduced and have actually like left language. One of the one of the ones that's sort of interesting is one that's called the the um, interrobang, which was a it was introduced sometimes I think in like the the in the mid twentieth century as like a um, it's a exclamation point question mark combination. That was intended to sort of like, well, exactly like you would maybe use those two characters uh-huh. together now. Uh, bang being the other word for an exclamation point. Um, and there's a ton of stuff like that, which is just like <laughs> comes in and out of, of, our, of our language and our grammar. Uh, and I just find this book to be totally fascinating because there's just like, you know, like, ha- you know, when illuminated books were illuminated, meaning that they would have drawings in the margins of, of, of books as you would go, like the first letter of a section would often be this like very ornate drawing if you go to a museum and sort of look at like old texts mm-hmm. but it would take a long time for a person to actually illuminate like the whole book so first they would write out each of the paragraphs and then they would draw in these big ornate letters and they just would run out of time they wouldn't get through the whole book and so what would happen is the, 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 the paragraphs towards the end of the book wouldn't have those illuminated characters in the front and those became indentations for paragraphs. Oh, that is it's like, <laughs> fascinating. And that's how that how that, that's how paragraph indentation came into being. So anyway, not productivity, but I think just totally no, fascinating that's great. and and really interesting, especially for people that care about uh, language. There is one, uh, not necessarily emoticon, or I, I always mess up that word, emoticon. Uh, Emoji. Emoji. <laughs> um, those might help, but there was one through texting that I always felt like was necessary. I don't know what it would look like, but I named it. It was called the Delta Sark for 
I'm being sarcastic right now. Oh, Please don't yeah. take this seriously. <laughs> so I have I had a a rule that um, that it's 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 you know it's almost like an old fogey kind of rule at this point. But I like I had a, I had a strict like no smileys rule. This is kind of like oh. before emoji. Yeah. Uh, because actually I think emoji are pretty useful. They emoji are actually they're like replacing words frequently, so they're they're useful. Smileys and all that stuff are to explain the thing that you just wrote. And tell the person that's reading it that, like, oh, I'm joking, mm. you know? And I think that that's a problem with the writer not being clear about how they're writing. Like, if you have to – if you write something and then you have to put, like, a little winky face at the end of it to tell the person that's reading it that you're not actually, like, calling them a name or whatever it is, then there's just something, like, fundamentally wrong in how you wrote that. And maybe you shouldn't write it at all. <laughs> so I made these rules of email and one of them was – uh for internal use, internal rules of email, and one of them was no smileys. Really? Yeah. See, smileys, sometimes it's like, oh, thank you for doing this for me. But the frowny faces, those, no frownies. That would be my internal rule. Yeah, I mean, what, what is a frowny? <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Why? Why? Come on, just be clear. <laughs> All right. Take ownership of what you're writing. What about a, what do we got? We did the book, Frog the book. and Tool. Tool, so a tool that, that I rely on. Tool or resource, yeah. What do I love to use? I, I mean, it's so, like, I, what I find is that I am, I am not, like, one thing that I think people would be surprised to learn is that we at Evernote are not actually, like, crazy productivity people. We don't, we, everybody's different. Like, we didn't start Evernote from a productivity perspective. We started it because we wanted uh, to just solve this problem of information overload. And we've become associated with this, the, the productivity space, and yet, like, I use so few tools. I use so few things. I just use Evernote pretty much. Like that is that is my thing. And I never even think about it as a productivity tool for myself. Mm-hmm. Can I can I give an Evernote tip yes. instead of giving a, pro- a productivity tool? Uh, or I'll, what I'll say is like I so a small Evernote tip for Mac users because they love this one because this is like life changing is Command J in, in Evernote on the Mac. It opens the notebook selector, and it's, like, an amazing way to switch notebooks. Oh. Command-J. Like, it's going to change your life. I guarantee it. Um, but the other the other thing is that, like, for me, I don't use notebooks at all. If people share notebooks with me. That's why I have to use Command-J. I don't have any notebooks whatsoever in Evernote. I don't organize my notes in any way whatsoever in Evernote. I just use search. Hmm. I just use search because I think our search is amazing. Um, and we have this shortcuts bar on the side, and that's the only place where I think is it's important to sort of stay organized. So I keep about 10 things in the shortcuts bar on the side that I, I'm sort of cleaning that out frequently because that's the stuff that I'm working on. Um, but in general, Evernote just stays like super, super uncluttered, no notebooks, just search, find everything. Once you get used to that type of mentality, like it totally works. I was trying to implement tags for the longest time, and then I found... I was searching for the tag, would miss the tag because I'd already forgotten what I tagged it as, but it still came up with a note, so I just stopped using tags. But I know a lot of people have some big system with tags. Some people have a system with their notebooks. Sure, sure. Whatever it may be, but I'm I'm on your boat. I I think the the search tool in in Evernote is is where it's at. So good. Mailplane. Love Mailplane. Okay. Do you use Mailplane? Do you ever ever use use Mailplane? Mailplane? Gmail because Gmail's great. Gmail's like just a great mail product, uh, email product. So there's no reason I think to use like I want to use that over Apple Mail, but 
you can't really like if it's in your browser, it sort of sucks because you're going to close the browser accidentally and then it goes mm-hmm. away. And Mailplane has just done an, just a phenomenal job of allowing you to have your different accounts easily organized and it keeps it in a separate window. Love it. Great. I've been using that for years. We'll add that one on there too. All right. Any delicious or not delicious frogs? So this is a project that I that I have to get yes. over. Okay. And if you like words, I can let you know the etymology of, <laughs> of where we came up with the frog. I'd love it was to It originally hear that. a Mark Twain quote. Okay. If you have to eat a frog, you should do it at, at the beginning of the day. Uh, if you have to eat two frogs, you should eat the biggest, ugliest one first because that will be the worst thing you have to do all day. And then Brian Tracy, kind of a productivity guru, took that quote and made a book called Eat That Frog, which is all hmm. about doing your most important task first thing in the morning. Wow. So is this like a – okay, I'll tell you. So like, there's, there's this one project that's been killing me, and I, I need to – I totally need to do this thing that you're describing because, like, I do not do this. I always, like, put it off, and I mm-hmm. put it off, and I start every day. I'm like, today's the day. Today's the day that I'm going to do this, and I haven't done it now for three weeks. Uh, and that's – I have to write this – this thing I have to write this this story uh, like I've already got the whole idea and it's and this it's it's the, the story so you know it's it's about how I think and sort of tied to what we were just talking about about the changes in productivity it's like I just wanted I have to write the story about how software companies need to kill the print button mm-hmm. like we as like we talk about going paperless is really important but I am convinced that like having this little button, this little innocuous looking button in the menu that's called the print button, that that is destroying productivity in a way that people don't even realize because it's just there and they just click it and they're like, forget about it. But it's an addiction. And I have been meet, like I've written like half of it. And every day I come in, I add like one sentence to it. <laughs> and what I need to do is I need to just like block out some time and actually finish it. And I haven't been doing it. And I'm totally going to tomorrow I'm going to eat the frog. I'm going to finish this this thing. Perfect. Yeah, time boxing or Pomodoro technique. You just set a little timer. Got to do it. Got to do it. Go, go. Got to do it. I think if you allowed yourself some smiley faces on the first draft, you can delete them from the second draft. That might help you get through it. A <laughs> just emo- should I just finish it in emoji? <laughs> just Is that what you're suggesting? Straight up emoji. Just, <laughs> just, it's just smiling poop all the way through. <laughs> no, that's frosty cones. Uh, oh, ice cream. Didn't oh. you know that? <laughs> Only someone had told me that sooner. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for, one, inviting us into this sacred, quiet place yes. uh, and, uh, and, and sharing your thoughts on, on Evernote and productivity and um, all things uh, digital team building. We've kind of covered a lot of ground here. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. That was a fun one to record while on the road and in Evernote HQ. That was pretty cool. Cool experience. All of the links as well as Andrew's book, Frog and Tool, can be found at theproductivityshow.com forward slash 50 or theproductivityshow.com forward slash Evernote. Two quick reminders before we part ways. If you want to support the show, an iTunes review will help other people like you find it. Simply search for The Productivity Show in iTunes and click write a review. Tricon gave us four out of five stars and has to say, Still a solid show, but it often runs too long. This show could be more efficient. This is a good show full of insights and useful tips. Zach has become a better host in a short amount of time. I'm eager to see this show evolve. But thank you for the feedback. I will keep that in mind. It's sometimes hard to uh, to keep things to 30 minutes, but that's our goal. 
In light of the need for brevity, especially for Tricon's sake, I'll keep my second reminder brief. Productivity workshop. Come. <laughs> You'll learn three techniques about eating frogs. Maybe good ones, sometimes not so good ones. And you can sign up by going to theproductivityshow.com forward slash workshop or texting TPS to the number 38470. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to joining you next week.